Today we're going to be talking about the loving kindness of the Father that sustained Jesus while he was hanging upon the cross and how Jesus called upon the loving kindness of the Father and how it preserved his life. And we're going to look at that and have that applied to our own lives. You know, God is a God of kindness. He's a God of goodness that would be the friendliest person you would ever meet if you would speak to him. He would absolutely feel with you. His kindness would be towards you. Uh, he would not uh, be in a hurry when he wants to talk to you. He will absolutely meet you in the midst of who you are and where you are and inside of the personality that you are. You know, we find different personalities on this earth. We find personalities that is task orientated and then we've got other, other people that are um, more value orientated, quality time and all those kind of things. And as these people mix together and talk to one another inside Christianity, one can think that God is exactly like one of those people. But I want to tell you that God is a being and He is a loving Father that will meet you exactly where you are. That will, uh, when He says to you, when you say, God, this is beautiful, and He says, yes, it's beautiful, He will say it from a 100% feeling, a mutual feeling, wherein it is also absolutely beautiful to Him. They, they, he's not two-faced. He's not a hypocrite. The way he deals with you is from truth. In other words, he's trustworthy and he's genuine. He is not, um, he doesn't have to put up a face, you know, to make you feel good for a while. He is truly interested in your life. He is a kind God. What, is this, what has sustained me in ministry, what has sustained me in just, uh, you know, in everything that I've gone through in ministry, be it criticism, be it praise, be it difficult times, whatever, was the thought and the belief in my heart that God is for me, that God is with me, that He is there uh, with me in that very difficult situation. I was thinking, I'm thinking of a time when I was in Zimbabwe, or the, uh, the, my car broke down in Zimbabwe, was actually go doing mission work in Zambia, and I drove to Zambia, and uh, when I got to Zambia, the car's engine started to pack up. And what I did was, I went and got spare parts, took the engine out, put new uh, rings and bearings and whatever into the, into the car, overhauled the car right there uh, in a small, on a small little, small holdings basically, outside of Lusaka. And uh, I worked right through the night, and the next morning got in the car to drive on, and uh, just because of my own, I was just so tired, I didn't tighten the sump plug properly. And when that, and I drove, and about 20, 30 kilometers outside of Lusaka, the sump plug fell out. Now, those, now, the people that know cars will know what that means. And then while I was driving, all the oil ran out of the car, and it seized next to the road. Uh, I hitchhiked back into the city, uh, went and because I, when I heard something's wrong, I immediately switched it off. The engine cooled down. I got onto a, got a hitchhiked, went into the city, got another set of rings and bearings and whatever is needed just to get it that it can start again and drive it back to town. Took the engine out again. Um, 
drove it back and then I've spent all my money that I wanted to preach with on repairing the vehicle. I got on a bus, <coughs> went uh, back to South Africa. When I got to the border post between South Africa, between Zambia and Zimbabwe, uh, what they do, this is the way it works, is you take all your luggage out, then you go through customs and immigration, and then the bus drives through, and they check the bus and inspect the bus, and then you get on the bus again, and then you go. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and the bus is not coming. And I mean, this is such a nice, brand new, luxurious bus. And <clears throat> as I was uh, in the bus, uh, as I was, we were waiting, we, um, the bus driver came and said, there's something wrong uh, with the bus's engine, and the bus cannot go. And they pushed the bus, bus through the border so that if we could fix it up, then we can. And I mean, the, the bus driver didn't have any mechanical knowledge about buses and stuff. So I said to him, where's the diesel filters, whatever, maybe the filter's blocked. So I changed the diesel filter on the bus and we s to check if the thing wanted to go. But we couldn't find pressure uh, on the engine, even uh, on the other side of the diesel pump. There would be no pressure. And uh, obviously it was a problem that we couldn't fix right there. Boiled down to the fact that the guy actually over-revved the bus and the safety mechanism kicked in and uh, it's expensive to, to, to repair it though and we didn't have the tools to do it. So they brought another bus, got us on that bus and we went back. And, and we went back. Halfway back home, we got a, a, uh, a call that said that that bus that we've been in burnt down. And I mean, all these negative things happening to me. And I was feeling like Jonah. I was feeling, listen guys, just throw me overboard and everything will be well with you. We got home, uh, saved up money, uh, got some donations, bought another engine, drove up to Zambia, put the new engine in, and uh, we drove down again. <clears throat> and as I came back home with the vehicle, in the, we were doing about a, I was doing about 120 kilometers per hour, and the front wheel, wheel bearing, ceased up. And um, it was just, a, I, I almost made a massive accident, stopped the vehicle there, and I took the wheel off, and I saw the bearing falling to pieces in a country where you don't have spare parts. And I start, sat there, I had tears in my eyes, I was upset, and I just felt things were just getting too much for me. I started to shout, uh, and then the one guy came to me, and he said to me, listen, man, uh, uh, the, the guy that was with me, Christians don't do it like that. I, I felt that I could beat him up. I tell him he just needs to get away because he's going to be beaten up. And so he stood away. He, he got out of my uh, space and we waited there. Thank God we had the other car. We went, ordered a part that had to get from South Africa. And I had all these bad things happening to me. When the part came from South Africa, it was the wrong part. And I was right there, <laughs> We're next to the road. And then the police came to us, knocked on, a, on, the, on the door of the caravan, and said to us, we, we need to be careful because we're right next to a jail that's about 500 meters out in the bush, and people escaped out of jail. And we were in that caravan next to the road. And when you're in that place where things just 
seem to be way too much for you. You cannot handle everything. Uh, You're sitting next to the road. You've got no money. You you can't phone. It it is just such a hectic situation. You're fearing for your life. Uh, I, I sat there, and the thing that sustained me was that I've got a God that is kind. And in the midst of losing my temper, in the midst of shouting at the only guy that even understands my language and almost getting in a fight with him, in the midst of not having money, in the midst of not understanding anything, what sustained me was knowing that my God is kind. And that was something that God has put in my heart over time. And in that place, I knew that my heart would run to God. Uh, you know, sometimes you would think you, you are in such a state that even if you open the Bible and you want to w- look for a scripture, you can't even see one because you're in great stress. You're in a very difficult situation. And the loving kindness of God was what sustained me in that time. Now, I want to read a passage from Jeremiah 9 verse 24. Jeremiah 9 verse 24. And we're going to look at the kindness of God and we're also going to look at the tender mercies of God, what that is. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him that glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. I want to read it again. But let him that glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth, For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So what we see here is that God is exercising loving kindness in the earth. That word exercise there means to make known in the wildest and broadest manner. So he makes his loving kindness known in the wildest and broadest manner. And what is beautiful to me here is he says that he he, he makes it known in the earth. It's not just a heavenly thing. It's something we can experience here and now. And it is something that is in God, that only God can do. And you will see that God will remind you of his loving kindness continually. Um, We will still talk about that. But what he's saying here is, is he exercises loving kindness. He says, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. So God delights in being kind to you. He doesn't, it's not a schlep for him. It's not difficult for him. It's not a burden to him. He delights in being kind to you. He delights in coming and saying, it is okay. When we go through the greatest humiliation, when we go through the most difficult times, our God will be kind to us. And if you watch news and you look, <clears throat> look at interviews and debates and those kind of things, uh, you'll find that many times the person who's got the interview that stands for a certain, um, you know, let's say Fox News or CNN or whatever, if, if a Fox News guy gets a liberal on there, he's not going to be kind. <laughs> he's not kind. If CNN gets, uh, in South Africa we have got the very same thing, you know, if you've got a person that's got a certain mindset and ego and all those kind of things plays a role, he's not going to be kind and he's not going to try and hear what you say. He's going to try and push down his 
his view and opinion, and he's going to try and push down who he is in spite of who you are. Now, God is not like that. God is not like that. God is kind. And it says here that he delights in being kind, meaning it comes from the depth of his heart. He's not kind to you because he must be kind. He's not kind to you because he's forced to be kind because he is God and since he is love, he must be kind. And like many teach love as a decision of the will. God is not making a decision of the will to be kind to you. Like I've heard somebody preach, he said, uh, he said to God, God, I don't like that guy. Um, and then God said to him, but I love him. And then, then the guy says, yes, I also love him, but I don't like him. And then he said, then God told him that God also doesn't like that person. And God, he said, God said, I also don't like him. I love him, but I don't like him. I want to say to you, God loves you and likes you, and he loves all people and likes all people. And you might say, but Betty, God cannot like all people. How can God like somebody that is against me? Simply because God sees the truth about that person. And simply because God knows what he's going through, he knows what his upbringing was, he knows what his belief is, and he sees that person for who he truly is. So God loves and likes. And when he would speak to even your foe or your enemy, he would speak to that person with kindness. And you might be someone else's enemy. That's why, you know, he will also speak to you with kindness. And I believe he will always speak with a kind voice, kind character. When you think of Jesus, when he walked the earth, do you see somebody that goes around uh, with a lot of anger inside him? Like I said last Sunday, when we talk about the third and fourth generation and those kind of things, you know, when when we say that God will visit the sins until the third and fourth generation of those that hate him, does that mean that we see Jesus visiting th- sins of the third and fourth generation in the way we understood it in the, uh, in the old covenant? Did Jesus go around calling kids around him and starting and just randomly starts to dish out the third and fourth generation slap because these kids' great-grandfather messed up? Jesus never did that. When Jesus was on the earth, the kids, um, and I can tell you, I've been in gospel outreaches in Africa. I've preached, and I, I know how it feels to have 30 kids running around you, making a noise all the time. When you sit down, just want to pray a bit or just relax, you've got 30 kids staring at you all day. Now have that for two weeks, every day, day and night. And then some of them, start to take chances and some of them becomes naughty and whatever. It's, you, you get so irritated. But here Jesus comes and he, when he sees the children, he says, and when the disciples were already irritated, he says, bring them to me. You see, a kind person that's got a heart that is so big that he can only be kind and be kind forevermore. Man's life is only about 70 to let's say if you become 100 years old, you've done very good. Man's lifespan is like the grass. Today it's there, tomorrow it's gone. It's like the flowers of the field. It's beautiful for a moment and it's gone. But the loving kindness of God is from everlasting to everlasting. His mercies is from everlasting to everlasting. And He delights 
in being merciful. Now, the word kindness, let's look at the word kindness. The word kindness means the following. It says it's a primitive root properly, perhaps, to bow in courtesy, to bow the neck in courtesy to an equal, to be kind. You can also compare the Hebrew word 1288, which is the word barak, to show self-merciful or to put to shame. Now, I would like to explain that put to shame there and show self-merciful. What he says here is that this kindness of God is where God comes and in courtesy or in love towards another, he would bow down. And you can compare it, uh, Strong says here, to the word Barak, where the Bible says, and God blessed mankind and he served mankind by speaking well of man. Now the Bible also says that God blessed the animals. Go and read it. The Bible says blessed the animals. He barracked the animals. He barracked man. That means God even serves nature with his life. You know, if I look at myself, um, if, I'm, if I plant something, we've just planted, a, a, I think it's a grapefruit. Is that what a grenadella is? Passion fruit. We've just planted passion fruit here. We planted, what we do is, I make sure it's got everything it needs. I bow to it. I bow down and I serve it with my life. And the Almighty God, so much more, serves even nature. He, he loves animals, the beasts of the field. The Bible says He blesses them, He barracks them, He speaks well of them. In the very same way, He came and He spoke well of man. He barracks man. He speaks well of man. And he comes and um, in absolute courtesy, in absolute love for mankind and for an equal, he bows himself down and he is kind. It also says here to put to shame or to show self-mercy. Now, let me explain to you what that put to shame means. The way I see that putting to shame, and if you study it further in the Hebrew into other words, that is referred to this word. It means to be at a place where somebody has harmed you and then he expects you to be bad to him and then you're not. And then he stands ashamed because he expected you to ill-treat you and you didn't because you are seeing that person's value and you're seeing that person for who he truly is and you're not going to deal with that person based on history but based on the value of that person. Where you don't lose vision of who the person is and you continue to show love in the midst of this person ill-treating you. That is what it means there to put to shame. The way uh, I believe God has put mankind to shame, that God has put the Pharisees to shame. The way God put the Pharisees to shame was they came and they said to, the, they said to him, Throw this woman with stones. And he says, no, no, I don't condemn her. You that are without sin, throw the first stone. And then he did not condemn them. You know, I don't think Jesus put them to shame by saying to them, you are also sinners. What has put them to shame was how he loved upon a woman who by the law deserved to die, but he showed kindness. You know, I remember in my life where I've been put to shame by people. Uh, by their goodness and not by them willfully trying to put me to shame. But where they've come and where I would say, I remember one guy came to um, 
to a church where he preached in Douglas, and he's a singer. And they, when they stopped at the, um, at the cafe or somewhere, there came a beggar. And the one guy that was the musician, he, he, made, um, he said to the beggar, no, go away, don't bother us now. And the guy that came to sing, I can't remember his name, I can't believe I forgot his name, but he, he said, man, give him 20 rand. And he took 20 rand and gave them. He says, what is, what is 20 rand? Let, let us just bless the guy. He's suffering, man. And you know, when you see that, you kind of feel ashamed because this man is so generous. And you just looked at this person's sin. And you looked at, he's going to drink with the money. He's going to buy glue. He's going to buy, you know, they would um, inhale the glue fumes and drugs and whatever. We, you, you feel ashamed. And that is, that is the context where what this kindness means means he is so kind that those who are law-minded feel ashamed because they come to the realization that there's something greater than just being right and God says that he exercises this he exercises this in the earth with great uh, delight that is what he does the next slide kindness according to Webster's means the following it says goodwill, benevolence, the temper or the disposition or the character which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants and lifting their distresses, benignity of nature, kindness ever accompanies love. So what it says is, it says delighting in contributing to the happiness of others. So when God comes and He speaks to us, He says, let him that glory, glory in this, that he knows and understands me, that I'm a God who exercises with great delight, um, this, this, I've got great delight in contributing to the happiness of others. So we have got a God whose eyes and whose spirit goes to and fro on this earth to see how He can contribute to the happiness of others. Glory to God. And then it says there, this is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes. What's the greatest wish of man? The greatest wish of man is acceptance, love, and eternal life. So what God does is, in His loving kindness, He will speak His kindness to you. He will have His kindness come towards you, wherein He will gratify your greatest wish which is that of acceptance. There's no greater need than the need of acceptance. We want to be accepted. And God will come and meet that need in His loving kindness towards us. He says, supplying our wants and lifting our distresses. So what He says here is that our God is a God, the Bible, and the Bible says there also that, or Webster says that um, kindness is also, or love is always accompanied by kindness. Kindness and love goes hand in hand. Since God is love, you will find that His kindness, where He will lift your distresses, where He lifts your distresses, where He lifts your burden, where He comes and says, it is okay, I am with you, I've got you. This is not the last and final word about your life, where He has got a beautiful future uh, for you with Him being with you and strengthening you by His Spirit and not the works of the law. 
Next slide I want to read on loving kindness. It says in Psalm 36 verse 7, it says, How excellent is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And Psalm 119 verse 88 says, Quicken me after your loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of your mouth. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? What is said here is that, um, in Psalm 37 is that, the loving kindness is what causes people to trust in the Lord. It says, O God, therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Why? Because of how excellent the loving kindness of God is. Because of how excellent God is where He always honor us as an equal, where He bows down, where He serves us. I want to tell you only in the, the, the remembrance of how God serves you and in the remembrance of how God is for you and in the revelation of how God is not sin conscious but how He wants to preserve your life. Only in that and in a vivid display of this kindness will the children of men trust in God. You know, I look at um, the movie that is just been released, The Shack. Now, if you want to look at The Shack from a doctrinal perspective and you want to make it a theological movie, I would agree with a lot of it, but there will maybe be one or two things that I disagree with if we just look at the book or look at some of the views of the writer. But that is not the issue. The, the thing with a movie is this. That movie talks about the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and it's going to reach so many people. And I will tell you, as we look at any message wherein God is portrayed as good and caring and understanding and powerful to bring forth a new life by His doing, you'll find men will start to trust God. You will find mankind come to a place where they will trust. And as it says here in Psalm 136, Therefore the children of men will put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Makes me think of, of um, that the Bible talk, when it talks about Lucifer before his fall. It says he was a great tree and under his branches or under him, his wings um, there was green pastures and you find that the cattle had their young there, you know, where they felt safe. It was before his fall. And I see the same with God here. I see that God comes and in his loving kindness stretches so far that it prov provides a shade and a comfort for man. And as we see the excellence and the greatness of his loving kindness, we will find that we can trust God. You cannot trust in a God who is nitpicking fault-finding, who's got his own agenda, who is only merciful to himself and, doesn't, and doesn't, doesn't come as a servant. It'll be very difficult to trust. We even see that with political leaders. We see that with political leaders. If a political leader steals money, if a political leader lies and doesn't do what he's supposed to do and he's in the thing for himself, people will not trust him. But if you can see that that guy is working hard and he is serving the nation, you'll find people will trust him. They'll believe in him. They'll start to 
advocate him. They'll start to preach him. How much more God? How much more God? You know, when we look at, at um, leaders of countries, we don't want dictators. We want servants. Because a dictator, when you're in the presence of a dictator, you're in trouble where everything is just about him and nothing is about you and he's not there serving you and bringing life to you and duplicating his life in you, then you will not feel safe. You'll want to vote for someone else. You'll try and establish your own little kingdom because you cannot trust him. Because whatever he says, the money is going to go to his pocket. It's about him. Now, if you cannot trust a leader who's got his own agenda, which is not there to serve the people, how will you trust a God that's portrayed as this, this God that is just in it for himself? It's impossible. You will not be able to trust him. He's a God of loving kindness. What is beautiful here is he says that you will have Faith in God because of the loving kindness. And then Psalm 119.88 says so beautifully there. He says, Quicken me after your loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of your mouth. So how will we keep the testimony of his mouth? How will we continue in the testimony of his mouth and what God says about us? When he brings life to us through his loving kindness. That is what it says here. It says, quicken or make me alive according to your loving kindness. What he says is, I don't want a life born from the law. God, the only life that I want is one that comes from how kind you are. I want to tell you, you cannot preach God. If I only preach on the kindness and the love of God and just talk about how he feels about man every day, there is not enough time to tell mankind how kind God is. The kindness of God can only be experienced into eternity. That is why God has come and given us eternal life so that we can live forever to forever experience the kindness of our God. Psalm 1988 again here. It says, Quicken me after, the loving, after your loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of your mouth. And this was a way in those times where the testimony of the mouth was seen as the law, wherein it actually talks about the life that God wants people to live. And what the psalm writer here says is, if you can make me alive according to your loving kindness, then I will have the life that you've desired for me. Isn't that beautiful? The only life God desires for you is a life that's born from a revelation of his loving kindness, of where he comes and sits with you, smiles with you, loves you, and where that kindness is powerful enough to lift you up into a brand new life. Isn't that awesome? The wonderful thing about what I felt when I was sitting next to the road there with that broken... Um, I want to tell you, that was not even the, the end of the story. man. I, I, I should actually tell you the end of the story. I mean, that wheel b- broke. When that wheel broke... You sit there, you wait days and days next to the road for a part, and then it's the wrong part. And then God gives you a plan and an idea, and you fix it up, and you start to drive. And you know what happened when I pulled away there? I asked that friend of mine, could you please fill up the tank with gasoline, because we had gasoline tanks 
in the back and also water tanks because we go deep into the bush you know you don't have clean water drinking water or um, gasoline out there so what he did was he filled it up with water <laughs> I started it and couldn't even get across the road we had to like just push the thing last bit uh, uh, across the road and then I had to tow that car which had a caravan and a trailer with a sedan to the closest uh, petrol station and I left it there went back to South Africa again because I'm running out of money waited another month or two I don't know how long I waited and then I went to get that that car and when we drove it back the guy who drove it because I was driving the one car and he drove that one he overheat the engine again because it was just a brand new redone engine that we've put in and he overheat again and blew the head gasket again it was just you, you cannot believe how many bad things can happen in one trip well in the midst of all those things what gave me life was the loving kindness of God and you know what was the blessed thing for me was in the midst of all of that I knew that the loving kindness of God is greater than the situation and that it can change that it can change. So, I, I mean, I don't know when last we've had a car that broke down. It is the loving kindness of God. If you've got a temper problem, an alcohol problem, a drug problem, a bitterness problem, sexual immorality, whatever you want to call it, whatever problem you have, fear, anxiety, depression, the loving kindness of God will meet you right there where you are, and according to the psalm writer here, he says, quicken me after your loving kindness. What he was saying is, he says, give me light according to your, your cheerful delight where you contribute to my happiness, where you gratify my wish and supply my want and where you lift my distress. So the beautiful thing here is, is that the loving kindness of God possesses the power to actually live, lift you out of your distress. But the only thing you need to do is hear that continually. And now we're going to look at, um, at Psalm 14. We're going to look at Jesus and what he said about the loving kindness of the Father when he was hanging upon the cross. This is Psalm 40 verse 10. It says, I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. What he's saying is, I preached about your goodness, Father. He says, withhold not your tender mercies from me. Remind me, O Lord, let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For an innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up they are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. This is Jesus hanging upon the cross, praying this to the Father. What he was saying is, Father, I'm not even at a point where I can look up. I cannot even look up to you anymore. I don't have any strength to serve you. That was what he was saying. He was saying here, Father, I preached your loving kindness. I had your word of loving kindness in my mouth. And I preached your loving kindness to the great congregation. Why? Because they were distressed. And what they needed to hear is the loving kindness of God. 
the acceptance of God, the kindness of God, how God doesn't see their sin, how, doesn't God, how God is not looking at their disqualifications, and how God promised to give them eternal life, free from their works. And now Jesus was at a place where he says, Withhold not your tender mercies from me, and I will explain that now. He says there, O Lord, let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. So he says, God, this which I've preached to these people, I'm now at the place where I cannot look up. Where I do, I, 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 I've, my heart has failed me. This is what Jesus said here. He says, And innumerable evils have accompanied me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart failed me. Yet Jesus' heart failed him in the midst of all of his iniquities because it, he became the son of man. And when his heart failed him, what did he say? If my heart fails me, if my beliefs, belief fails me, if everything I think needs to do fail me, God, I only rely upon your loving kindness towards me. It says here, withhold not your tender mercies. Withhold not your tender mercies. The word withhold there, it's slide seven, you can just bring it up there, Helena, um, it means to, to restrict by act, to hold back, or in word, to prohibit, to finish, to forbid, to keep back. I like the part there where it says, to restrict by word, or to hold back in word. And then also, um, the, the, the word therefore, Tender mercies means compassion, by extension, um, the womb as cherishing the fetus. So what he's saying here is, he says, God, don't restrict the word of your loving kindness towards me because my, my heart has failed me. And I believe what he was saying to the father there is, please don't stop to tell me how much you love me. Please don't stop to tell me how you will raise me from the dead. That's what he was saying. He says, continually preserve me in your loving kindness. And don't withhold your tender mercies. You know what tender mercies there? It means to, to, to show respect or to show love as to the fetus. It means by extension the womb as cherishing the fetus. Webster says to treat with tenderness to caress as a nurse fondles a child. So he says there, he says, I'm hanging upon this cross. What I need now is for you to continue to fondle me as a nurse, a child, nursing for the child, as a mother that, that's got great compassion and love and expectation for the fetus that is inside her. Where he was saying, God, in this, in this multitude of difficulties, what I need right now, I am your son and what I need to hear continually now in the midst of all these iniquities is I need to hear how you say you are my son in whom, whom I am well pleased, I continue I, I need to continue to hear, don't stop to tell me on how I am that fetus that you have preserved from the beginning of how you've dreamt me of how you want to bring forth life for humanity and how you will preserve my life. It says here in Psalm 40 verse, um, verse 11, Withhold not your tender mercies from me, 
Remind me, O Lord. That remind me, I've put it in. Remind me, O Lord. Verse 11 there. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus had a problem. He was losing his life. He laid down his life. And when he laid it down, it was now running out. And he knew he was going to die. Jesus, um, what happened to him on the cross was, he knew when he was going to die, his soul was going to enter Hades, the place of the dead. His soul was going to die. His spirit, the force that gave him life, was going to go to the Father, which is not him. That is his spirit. His spirit is something that belongs to him. The life force that God has given him that gave him life. Now, I don't want to be very uh, uh, technical today uh, in the end of this message. But what he was doing is he says, God, you've given me life. You've given your life force, the plug. You've plugged me in. You've plugged life into dust in Mary's womb and I came forth. And now this life that keeps me alive, I'm giving it over to you and I am going to die. But... Your loving kindness will preserve my life. I will die, but I will be raised up. I will die, but my body shall not see corruption. I shall be taken from the grave, and my soul shall be released from hell, according to Acts 2. And I shall live forevermore with you in eternal life, for you will lift the distress, because I continually want to hear how you will lift my distress. The distress Jesus was in was the distress of death. That he will die, but that he will be raised again. That was, what, that, was the, that was the distress. But the kindness of God would be the words of the resurrection. The words of the resurrection of the faithfulness of God towards people in deepest distress. Glory to God. I want to thank you that you've just allowed me to serve you with this message of the kindness of God. The loving kindness of God. And you might be in a situation right now where you're going through a difficult time, where you don't know how to handle certain things, where you're in a difficult situation. I want to tell you, be where the psalm writer was, be where Jesus was, where you just say, maybe my belief has failed me. I don't know what to do further. But where you say to God, God, please don't stop. To, I want, please don't, it's, don't prohibit or don't stop to talk. Stop by word. Don't stop by word. Your tender mercies, meaning your embrace of the fetus. How you embrace my life. For in your loving kindness, my life shall be preserved. You might be in a place where you feel life is being drained from you. You might be in a place, if you're a preacher watching, where you feel my church is not working, the leadership is not working, uh, I don't have money. I've tried to plant churches for many, many times in my life. Nothing's working. I'm not a success. I don't know what to do. I want to tell you the only thing you need is to hear, continually hear, and say to God, God, I know you are speaking to me, but thank you that you will never stop to speak to me on how you cuddle me, how you embrace the fetus. You Why do we embrace a fetus? Because we love life. We love, we embrace that fetus. We love that life. We want it to live. Glory to God. How you embrace my life. I'm at a place where you like a fetus. Unless the mom provides life for you, you're not going to live. Where, you, where, you will, where, where I continually draw life from your words of affirmation and confirmation. 
where your loving kindness will preserve my life and where I will not lose my life. So I want to say to you the foundation of a breakthrough, we want to call the breakthrough, the foundation of uh, peace in the midst of darkness is a revelation of the loving kindness of God. The worst thing you can ever do is when you go into a difficult time is to say, I'm not going to hear the words of tender mercies or the words of, of the embrace of the fetus anymore. And I'm not going to look at the loving kindness of how God cheerfully, with great delight, want to contribute to my happiness by granting my wishes, supplying my wants, and lifting my distresses. Jesus had the greatest distress. The greatest distress of Jesus wasn't the cross. It was what happened after the cross. It was when he died. He was distressed with death. Death in Hades, the place where you cannot think, where you cannot reason, where you are dead. And he was oppressed with that. And the Father comforted him to the point that he could go into that and take our death. And then the truthfulness of the Father showed in the resurrection. Glory to God. I would like to pray for you if you're watching. Father, I want to thank you that I can pray for people that are watching that's going through a difficult time. And I thank you, Lord, that they can be encouraged right now by your goodness and your love and your kindness in this message. I also want to thank you, Lord, that people that are experienced in this would have just have been encouraged again in the message of your loving kindness and your goodness and your mercy. And I thank you, Father, that I can stretch forth my hand to people that are going through a hard time and that needs prayer. I thank you, Lord, that, they will con- that you will not withhold your continual speaking. And if they, we can come to a place where we can feel, oh God, just don't stop to speak to me now. You will never stop. But that can be what we feel. We can feel that's the only lifeline I have. And if that was the only lifeline you had, Jesus, then it is ours as well. It's the message where you are not withholding your tender mercies on how you embrace that fetus, you embrace our life, and how you come to lift the distress of death. And you do that cheerfully. And I think that message is communicated to people's hearts right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I would like to ask you if you need counseling or if you need prayer, to be um, to just go to our website, dynamicministries.com, or if you cannot remember that, just BertieBrits.com, the same website, goes to the same website, and just go to our web church, and under web church you will see there is uh, web pastors, and you can ask one of, you can just write there, and one of our web pastors will contact you and minister to you. You will also see that we've got, uh, I think it's a 1-800 or 800 number in the United States that you can call, and if you need prayer, please um, please do that. Just go onto our website and contact us and you will see all our detail is there. Call that number, leave us a message and we will get back to you and minister to you. Uh, you don't have to sit alone going through difficult times. There is a place where you can feel loved and accepted. Uh, you can feel the love of God, you can feel the acceptance of God and the embrace of God through people. So please contact us, we would love to minister to you. Glory to God. I would like to thank you that you've watched this and I'm looking forward to our um, service next Sunday. 
where we will just come together again and minister the gospel of grace. I want you to know that we're never going to minister anything but this message in this church. Uh, I've preached this message for many years, and by the grace of God, I will continue to preach it until the Lord Jesus returns. Glory to God. Thank God for His love and His goodness, and thank you for allowing me to serve you today. God bless you.